most of us, unfortunately, go to lectures to have what we already know justified. So as long as as long as someone is telling me what I know and is what I'm doing is right has been right, then I can take on a new pearl or something and add to it. I'm comfortable with that. If someone's telling me that what I've been doing may may not be right, that's upsetting. And what I've been saying to you guys for years is that I'm not saying that what you've been doing isn't right. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Do anterior midpoint stop appliances cause anterior open bites? Right, so if you're unfamiliar with these appliances, it's basically a night guard that only covers, let's say, two to two or three to three or, or five to five. Uh, and there's many combinations and you know uh, opposing and whatnot, uh, a larger, smaller, but essentially they don't cover all the teeth. They are segmental appliances. Uh, and the classic version of it, for example, would be like an NTI or in the UK it's known as an SCI, sleep clench inhibitor. Uh, other other versions are available, Bitesoft, Foss, which is yeah, something I use quite a bit, or, or B-Splints. There's loads of different types. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've sort of clicked on to find out if these sorts of appliances cause anterior open bites, then probably you've come across or seen photos of, or perhaps you use these cautiously, or perhaps you use these freely. Well, let's find out. Uh, basically, if the back teeth don't touch, the muscles switch off. That's essentially how it works. So you're biting together on the night guard, you're biting only at the front, the back teeth don't touch, and the muscles cannot contract efficiently with uh, the, the power that they can do when back teeth contact. Why did I do this episode? It's a huge discussion point full of controversy. Basically, people are convinced that these sorts of appliances um, Imagine one, for example, covering two to two will cause an anterior open bite by the posterior teeth over erupting. So I invited an expert in this field in orofacial pain, Dr. Barry Glassman, to speak on this topic to give clarity on where these appliances do actually cause such issues. Today's Produsive Dental Pearl, BRB technique. Okay, this is for class four composites or any sort of buildup in uh, composite. It's not the B right back technique, as uh, BRB might be. It's actually called the Bartholo Ricci Barotti technique, and it's shortened to BRB. Um, if you have someone who has had a class four fracture, let's say, and you need to do a nice build up, and you want to do a layered approach, usually, classically, you'd have to do some sort of a wax up, and then may take a putty stent of wax up, and then transfer it on. Therefore, you've got your palatal thickness, and therefore, you can build the anatomy into the putty index now. So with the BRB technique, you're basically negating the need for a wax up. You take a putty index to include the fractured tooth. So you're just taking the putty index of the situation you have in front of you, uh, including the adjacent teeth so that you know later you get a positive seat of the stent. Uh, and then what you do is with a pencil, you draw on the putty where you would like the incisor ledge to be. You basically use the adjacent teeth as a, as a guide. And then using a round-ended tungsten carbide burr, you remove the silicon putty where you've demarcated with a pencil. So essentially you're creating the wax up with the burr into the putty. And there we are, you have your instant wax up within the putty to actually build the class four fracture to the correct shape and morphology using a layered approach. So it's a neat little trick uh, and I'm gonna share that on, on the blog, www.jazz.dental uh, and it'll be under this episode in the show notes which you can download as a PDF. So let's listen to the interview with Dr. Barry Glassman. Uh, and for the record, at the time of production, I have no financial interest with S4S or Dr. Glassman seminars. Some of the terminology and ideas that Dr. Glassman shares can be quite difficult to grasp over audio, uh, at the first listen anyway, uh, and it's quite high, I, I thought it was quite high level or expert knowledge he shares with us and some of it went beyond me as well. But I'm hoping that this will settle the debate about anterior midpoint stop appliances and whether they cause anterior open bites. Thank you so much for, for for agreeing for this. Honestly, it was like it was like um, I, I don't know if you're into sports and football, but it, it felt like um, in the last minute of a transfer window in football when you when you managed to to sign a new player and everyone's really excited. So that's how it felt like to me. Well, that's crazy, but that's great. Uh, no problem. <laughs> I just wanted to say off the bat, your lecture that I went to last year at the BDA in London was actually life changing for me in the sense that you know I'm. 
I'm really into occlusion. Okay, so that's why the whole yeah, this podcast yes. is called the Protrusive Dental Podcast. It's not just about occlusion; it's about all sorts of things in dentistry. But uh, it sort of gives a flavour. I'm into it. But then your perspective on it, I thought, was so so powerful, and I'm so glad that it, you know. Hopefully, we can mm-hmm. share that with uh, our, our listeners today. Surely. Uh, so I, that, so let's let's start with that. How did it change your perspective? It really rewired my brain. And, and I'm, I'm, I know you know exactly what I mean, because we just don't get taught to think about it the way you explained it. So, so basically, the, the one I took out from it was when we design, you know, quote unquote, occlusal harmony, when we have everything in canine guidance, when we have everything in, in class one, that only, it, it only really happens when the teeth are together, and that's obviously the gist of what you're saying, but when we design occlusions, we design them, and, and please tell me if I misinterpreted what you said, we design these occlusions for parafunction. We don't design them for function, but we design them with parafunction in mind, and actually, um, the only time it matters is when the teeth are together, and maybe the crux of the problem is parafunction, is the fact that the teeth are together for too long. What do you think about that? I feel like there's absolutely that that is if I were hoping that someone would walk out of the lecture with something uh, that that uh, there are two things you've said that make me feel as though uh, you I, I was successful in that lecture. The two things were, yes, that we designed occlusions for uh, a parafunction, not for function. Uh, that when, when we look and we we look at the amount of time the teeth are actually together and whether they're actually together when we function and when we think about it we don't really uh, we don't we don't ask patients at, at the end of uh, a restorative visit that the next time were they able to eat meat the next uh, the next visit uh, very rarely a complaint that patients have mm, I, I can't eat as well as I did. Um, the, so, so it's really, uh, and when we look and see where those teeth contact during function, what we know is that it's a, it's unpredictable. It has nothing to do with what we could evaluate on an articulator. It has not, you know, you can't look at a, at a, at a case and say, well, this is where it's going to hit when we're functioning. We have no idea. Uh, we have no idea if it's going to hit or, or where it will hit or what inclines and et cetera. And it has mm-hmm. a lot to do with are, you know, the masticatory cycle and the bolus and the kinds of things that, 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 you know, this amazing body that God or Darwin has put together um, uh, has created. And, and we, we, it, it's, it's overwhelming the amount of proprioceptive and mecha- uh, uh, mechanoreceptors information that goes into the mesencephalic nucleus and into our, our, our central nervous system. I recently yeah. learned to appreciate what you're saying there. Is I read a, uh, a book, a handbook by someone called uh, Jay Levy, I think. I believe he's based in the States. And it, his sort of research was uh, just how much sensory feedback is, is contained in, in, in teeth sensational amounts and our mandibular i mean the, the just the whole mandibular function it's just it, we, we can't even pretend that we 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 can know and and this doesn't make us any different jazz than, than than medicine it's not like medicine knows uh when we look at uh, at a car accident we look at where someone gets injured and we try to we try to figure out the force vectors uh, we can. We know that you know there's there's no relationship between the amount of force and the amount of and in a car accident, the amount of damage done to an individual. It all has to do with a with a with magnitude and direction of force vectors that are too difficult for us to analyze. Absolutely. But before we delve in any, any more, Dr. Glassman, I just wanted to say, for, for, cause, because uh, some people may be listening and they don't know who you are, and I feel like we got so into it because I was, I was sharing my excitement of having you on. So again, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, I noticed that you're, you know, you're, a member, you're a diplomat of so many things, diplomat of the board of the American Academy of Craniofacial Pain, uh, the Headache Society, or Facial Pain. I'm just picking a few of, the, of the, what you are. Tell me, Jazz. I don't. I don't really know that all that. You know, to be honest with you, I, I appreciate that. Um, I don't know that there isn't any of those that make me feel. You know, that that, that make me qualified enough to to speak on the subject as much as my intense uh, interest in science that um, I find is fascinating is is rivaled by so many others like yourself. So. 
Um, it's you know I, I appreciate all that, and 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 I know that that looks you know people look at those things, but you and I both know that that's there are lots of if I look at some of the restorative gurus and I look at some of the things that you know what they've accomplished, and you you would think that they're and and that therefore will carry uh, weight, and and I listen to what they say, and and I shudder. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, listen, you're, you're very humble. Uh, uh, for anyone who wants to read it, there's a, a list of, uh, you know, your credentials, if you like. But uh, look, I, I can say that when I went to that lecture last year, it really resonated with me. And then I read a chapter of yours um, in a book by Steve Hudson that you did. I'm trying to remember the name. Is, I think it's is it Messages from Dental Masters. I, I think it was that one. Anyway, and it was, you were discussing about the whole teeth occluding together and whatnot, and which we're going to come on to this in the podcast. But definitely you've had a massive impact on my, my sure. career, my treatment planning, my thought process. So thank you so much for that. And I want to be able to share that w- with everyone. So yes, how did you get into being interested in this field in particular, i.e., um, I, I guess the wide term would be occlusion, but you might want to call it something else, or a facial. What, what, what do you want to? How, how do you want to describe that? Uh, pain, 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 pain management, joint, pain management, joint dysfunction. Sure. How did you get into that? Yeah, uh, uh, it's it's uh, the way that I think many of us get into it. I um, I, I took what uh, one of the reasons I teach uh, jazz is that I I tried to avoid for everyone else uh, in our profession, the treacherous path that I wound up taking. Uh, I got into it in the, in the late 70s, uh, before many of you were born. I, uh, I, I was uh, <laughs> treating a, a young woman uh, in her mid-30s that I truly believed and trusted, who had specific um, uh, maxillary bicuspid pain. And no matter what anyone ended on us, they uh, eventually had the tooth extracted, eventually had the bridge placed, and, and nothing could resolve her pain. And someone came, and at that point, a, a flyer came across my desk to uh, be to go take a course with Niles Goucher, who was uh, teaching the, what was called the uh, uh, Occlusal Studies, Society for Occlusal Studies. And his basic concept was uh, that everybody should have their condyles up and back in a reproducible position. Where have I heard that one before? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so then and, what happened? <laughs> and, and, and well, I, I don't want to go through the whole, I, 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 the reality is is that I went from camp to camp. I studied with Harold Gelb for seven years. I studied with uh, with uh, neuromuscular, with bio-research for years. Uh, I, and, and I was just just you know, looking for for answers uh, that uh, and and believing everything I was told, uh, when in fact all this much of that information and, and as much as I have respect for many of these what I call pioneers, people who 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 created a path for the science that we now have. Just like those pioneers were fabulous, we certainly wouldn't want to be using the maps created by the original pioneers in the United States. And, and uh, unfortunately, uh, mm-hmm. those those pioneers were very happy to see growth and change in their map. Unfortunately, our gurus don't want to see growth and change because it, it seems to they seem to be very protective of their legacies. And so when science comes around and d- demonstrates that maybe some of the things that they were teaching um, wasn't wasn't accurate. For example, interference is causing causing um, hyperactivity and uh, lateral turgoid spasms, which we now know doesn't happen. Of all the myths that are out there, as someone who you know, I've I religiously well, I don't know about religiously, but I go to a lot of occlusion courses. It's my thing. I really enjoy. It. I really do enjoy it. You know, the whole uh, temporal mandibular disorders, um, doing more complex rehabilitations and stuff. So, I, I, you, when you're designing an occlusion from scratch when you're trying to protect your restorative work I suppose then you do I do follow those principles of you know anterior guidance and that sort of stuff the sort of thing which only really matters when your teeth are together but I think when you're doing a rehabilitation you sort of have to begin from somewhere are you enjoying the protrusive dental podcast well allow me to deliver you even more value you can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free just search protrusive on your app platform now if you're a true protrusive and you want to support the podcast you want to claim cpd for all the listening and watching that you do you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible as well as a premium newsletter access to the protrusive vault and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later you can get all of that for less than 15 tax deductible dollars per month 
month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We worked so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. If you have if you have a choice between having more forces during power function or less choices, why would you take more? So the answer is, of course, that's exactly right. There's nothing. And I feel some people have misunderstood you, Dr. Glassman. I don't know if you know, but I, I feel as though some people think that what you have to teach is, is saying that you can do anything you want and you don't have to follow uh, strict protocols or, 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 or uh, do, you know, the, the way that we're supposed to do a full mouth rehab. But I think they've misunderstood what you're trying, your, what your message is. And that's what I'm hoping to, to send out today. Well, I, I get that. In other words, I get a lot of misinterpretation. I, I, I'll say occlusion doesn't matter unless you're occluding. And people only hear the first part, and when yes. the, and and so they'll only hear that occlusion doesn't matter. And the problem with jazz with that is is that and the reason they hear that is because everyone's telling them how important that occlusion is the key. It's the answer. And if uh, and so as soon as I say occlusion doesn't matter, it just turns people off. I've learned, you know, it's funny. I I, I will not accept an invitation to speak at at, at at a study group for an hour on occlusion. Because I know at the end of the hour, I don't have enough time to do what to do what you said in the very beginning. The first thing you said to me was, "You you were rewired to think differently." Well, think about that, Jazz. In order to be rewired, you have to get rid of the existing wiring, and then you have to rewire. Yes, you have to open yourself up, and and I'm sure people come to lectures and didn't have an open enough mind, and they were just very set in their ways. I'm sure you have stories. People maybe I don't know. Has anyone ever walked out? Oh, thrown stuff at me, you know, and I, and no, no question. I get people. I get there are people that ha, that do when when many of us go to lectures for many reasons. No, no one in 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 the UK. I'm going to say going to the UK is it's it's not as much fun because everyone's so polite. But I. I, I, I <laughs> So they're they're always very respectful, and I have no idea how angry some people are because I, you know, because of the tendency to be respectful. In the United States, they're not quite as respectful. So uh, we'll go ahead, and I mean, you know, we've got Trump as president for God's sake. So so <laughs> so so they'll, they'll go ahead and throw stuff, and and, and interesting to me, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, but what I'm what I what I what I'm so what I'm saying is that people go to lectures for various reasons, and the most of us unfortunately, go to lectures to have what we already know justified. So as long as as long as someone is telling me mm-hmm. what I know and is what I'm doing is right has been right, then I can take on a new pearl or something and add to it. I'm comfortable with that. If someone's telling me that what I've been doing may may not be right, that's upsetting. And what I've been saying, Jazz, for years is that I'm not saying that what you've been doing isn't right. If you've been receiving success and doing whatever you're doing, no one, who, who am I to say it isn't right? What I am suggesting is that maybe mm-hmm. it was right for re- other reasons than you suspected. Maybe it's right because th- the mechanisms that, you're, that are at, at play, the contributing factors that we're touching are different than you suspect that they are. And if we are truly understood better both the contributing factors that we were controlling, as well as the differences that exist from patient to patient, then we could put our treatment into better perspective and help more people more conservatively. Mm, brilliant. Well, I, I think people are listening to this now, and I, I feel some people may be saying, "Well, hang on, what what, what is the crux of where are we getting to?" So the main reason I wanted to get you on is because I, I, you know, you're someone who, based on that lecture I went to, I could speak to you for days and days and days. You know, I'm I really really uh, love the, the the devotion you put into this to come up with something so simple. But um, obviously, you're lecture, you're coming to to London and Sheffield soon. You're lecturing about it, uh, and I, I can give people the details. But I wanted to just home in on one specific thing, and that was um, anterior midpoints. Stop appliances. Sure. I, I see on, you know, I'm sure you get, yeah, I know you get tagged on Facebook and stuff all the time and people are getting into that debate and you and I'm sure you're sick of it, seeing it all the time, okay? Basically, when I was at dental school, they, they, these appliances are the devil's work because they will cause over-eruption of the posterior teeth and you will get an anterior open bite and uh, all sorts of terrible things will happen to you. So uh, can you please uh, tell me uh, or, or tell the audience I know already from going to lecture about why this may not be the case or it may be the case, but in perhaps in a different mechanism? Okay, so um, so let's talk about, uh, first of all, why we use anterior midpoint stop appliances. Yeah. So sure. the, the, or what the purpose of any appliance is. So I would ask you, 
as a, yes. as a, as a dentist, uh, you've got a patient and you've got, let's say something very specific. We've got a patient with some uh, uh, joint pain upon wakening and a suspicion of an of early uh, uh, internal derangement of some sort, whether it be an inflammatory state, whether it be a, a dis, uh, slightly compromised uh, tethering of the disc and 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 some uh, some clicking. So we've got some lo- low level clicking and significant joint pain upon wakening. Okay, so that's what we've got. Okay. So we've got a patient that that dentistry will say has some TMJ or TMD, which as you know drives me crazy but never yes uh, yes but, absolutely. But, but, but we can't get into everything so 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 i say to a dentist a general dentist uh, what are you going to do he says or you know i've got a patient that I, and and you know that they brux their teeth you can look you can see wear patterns etc so so what are you going to make he says well i'm going to make a night guard great i said so you tell me as a dentist as someone before you took my course and someone said i'm going to make a night guard and I would say to you, what's the mechanism? How is that night guard going to help? So before I done your course, um, the, the, I, I would have said, uh, I'll make a bite raising appliance or whatever it is. So maybe a soft bite guard or maybe a Michigan splint if I was feeling uh, fancy, if the patient could afford it. Uh, and the mechanism that it would work w- would be raise the bite. Therefore, it will take the, the, the condyle at uh, slightly away from the, the fossa and uh, allow you know the inflammatory ex- exudates to be declared and uh, uh, reset the system so they will stop bruxing that's what I probably would have said beforehand which I, I you know I, well no 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 that's, that's that's a great answer that's a great answer because that's you know and and there isn't it's not there isn't uh, everything in that answer isn't wrong okay so uh, the, uh, so uh, the, there is some uh, in fact to to be honest with you, Jazz, that's a better answer than 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 I than I usually get when I ask Dennis. So uh, obviously your your interest is and is is greater than many, and many who may be listening may not have come up with all that, or maybe some of you would have. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the 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 reality is is that yes, we know that there is no true uh, what we were taught in school. Remember that we were taught about the first twenty millimeters is pure uh, uh, rotation. And, 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 and we know that isn't true. So we know that there's a there's a medium. That's correct. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I understand. Uh, not only from your course, and I went on, I and I read further and I delved further into it. So yes, I now accept that it's not purely rotation. Yes, it is an articulator, but uh, not in the mouth. Right. Right. An articulator has nothing to do with with actual the way a condyle actually functions. Yes. So 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 now we so as soon as we put something between the teeth. Now, when the elevators contract and bring our teeth up against it, we can't close as far as we could have. And consequently, our condyle, when we're done, will be further anterior than it would have been if we had uh, not had that piece of plastic in our in, in between our teeth. So, mm-hmm. yes, we bring that condyle down and forward. And if there's an inflammatory state uh, and uh, there's uh, uh, there's a potential of, of of reducing it. What we haven't done is what we haven't is we haven't significantly altered uh, so uh, the the force magnitude. So the magnitude uh, uh, what we know is uh, and we show this in the courses. Remember we actually have a video where we show that when there is dental contact, and we all know this as dentists. We all know that that the, what's the purpose of lateral excursions. Uh, canine rise and lateral excursions. It's it, it, every dentist in the in, in in both countries would say it shuts off musculature. What does that even? What? That's right. But and I, and I would like to say, and please correct me because I, I you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. But what I the, the understanding is that on your canines it goes down to thirty percent of maximum. I don't I don't know that. Uh, that may be okay. it, it, what what we do know is that when we look at the studies of Hattori and others. The further posterior the contact. The greater the uh, uh, the forces in terms yes. of magnitude, so yep. that canine contact is better than bicuspid contact. But I'd rather not have canine contact. Canines, what we've learned, are posterior teeth functionally, but anterior mm-hmm. teeth aesthetically. So if mm-hmm. I can, so giving a patient canine rise in their natural dentition, as you earlier explained, is the best parafunctional control that we can obtain in a natural dentition. And oftentimes, yes. oftentimes, Jazz, that's that's more than adequate to keep our patients within their adaptive capacity and actually have our patients heal if they didn't have that level of, of, of protection prior to 
us giving it to them. So, yeah. uh, so whether we give it to them with an appliance, a Michigan, whether we give it to them with an equilibration, we have the potential to help patients in that regard. No question mm -hmm. about it. So, uh, so when people say, I say that you can't help people with, 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 with you know, that you need to have anterior midpoint stops, that's not, I never said that. That's not mm -hmm. what I'm saying. What I am saying is that an even superior way to reduce those forces, if we look at the study of May in 2000, where they looked at EMGs and they looked at specifically at condylar uh, 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 compression, we find that an anterior midpoint stop, despite what we're taught, that, w that it's going to increase the force because of the lack of posterior support, we find out that that's not true, that it actually yep. decreases. Uh, the, the compression and that and that when you combine the magnitude and direction of the because of the direction of the masters uh, mm -hmm. anteriorly and the anterior temporalis was as an anterior component there's nothing driving that condyle back the way we were taught into retrodiscal tissues it's, it's like a, it's like a nutcracker but you're f furthest away from the hinge part of the nutcracker right so, so, so you're describing, interestingly enough, what you just described is the alteration in the force, in the in the magnitude of the force. So, yes, as the more anterior we come, the the, uh, the further we get away from a class one lever, the, the yes, the forces decrease. But more importantly, also, or as importantly, is that not only do those forces decrease, but they don't incorporate what we're taught that those forces will incorporate with an anterior midpoint stop. They don't incorporate a posteriorization of the condyle leading to pressure against the retrodiscal tissue and pain. Mm -hmm. if, if, uh, so uh, that the purpose then of the anterior midpoint stop is to create the best environment for altering the force direction and decreasing the force magnitude during a parafunctional event that has no known cause. Perfect. So, so then, won't they cause an anterior open bite? That's the next thing you'll find, you know, written around people. The main reason why people don't use it. I was scared for the first three years when I was qualified of using these appliances, uh, even though I'd, I'd sort of been reading about it. But I was scared to use it because I think, oh, I'm going to get sued. This is going to happen. This is not the right way. So I was scared because of that, the myth that it's going to cause an anterior open bite because your posteriors will start overrupting. So, uh, can you please uh, bust this myth? Yes. They don't over up. There we are. It's, it's finished. Yeah. End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 but it, it is, it is fascinating. So, uh, your, your concern is appropriate and you should be concerned. Yep. So, uh, let's make a couple statements. Number one, posterior teeth don't over up, over up because there's an anterior midpoint stop appliance in place any more than they will over erupt without an anterior midpoint stop in place. So when if I had said to you, Jazz, are you wearing an appliance at night? Say no. No. Good. Good answer. What made you say that? Okay. <laughs> so are you wearing an appliance at night? No. So then if you're not wearing an appliance at night, what keeps your teeth from over erupting? And someone would say, well, the dental contact. That's what are you talking about? There is no dental contact. As, as you go deeper into sleep, there's more and more um, muscular relaxation. Uh, you're, you you swallow two to three thousand times a day, but you only swallow two to nine times an hour. You swallow with less veracity. The EMG levels are less, and the likelihood of, of reaching MIP during those swallows is next to zero. In a non-parafunctional person, right? In a non-parafunctional, yeah. well, not not next to zero in the swallow. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yes, in the swallow. Mm -hmm. So, what is it that's keeping your teeth from erupting? What is it? That, how is it very different than if I put an anterior midpoint stop appliance in? So, why why aren't we getting super eruption normally? So the 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 reality is, is that, but you and I have dentists, and we have seen when we lose an opposing tooth, we get super eruption. And, and when we look at the studies of Roberts and the studies of others, what we see is that after 16 hours, there are trabicular changes that lead to the superruptive activity. So consequently, as long as these teeth are in function, the likelihood of superruption becomes next to zero. So I have patients, for example, Jazz, that where their nighttime appliances 
They wear a daytime appliance, which we call a maxillary anterior passive appliance, that they wear it during the day to stop their bruxism, especially yeah. dentists. <laughs> Just saying. So, so they wear their daytime appliance, they wear their nighttime appliance, and as long as they remove these appliances to eat, the likelihood of develop, developing an anterior open bite goes ext- extremely low. Now, when interestingly enough, when these when these anterior open bites do occur, and they do, when they do occur, if you then, and we've done this over and over, I worked with Keller Labs who makes the, their, well, in, in the United States, their NTIs, in, in, in the UK, their SCIs, and, and, and I've worked with Keller Lab that made these NTIs, and we, we did a, a whole bunch of studies with, with, with patients who developed anterior open bites, and I did them with my own patients, and what we found is that if we took, the, took models of those patients and put those models, they fit together perfectly. Clearly, this was not then super eruption. There was something different happening. Now, I yep. explained this in the course, and I don't mean to, to, I don't want to make light of this be, or skip over it because it's it's, it's awfully complicated. But what we- it is, it is, and I, I think the the course gave it uh, justice and the time it deserves because this gets discussed uh, about so much and it's such a uh, big issue in appliance selection that people uh, are worried about. So it, d- it does deserve more time. But uh, I think people appreciate that you know we're trying to keep it concise. Yeah, yeah. We we talk we, we talk about what we're looking at is literally a change in. <laughs> kyphosis and a change in the trajectory pattern and the kyphosis in the neck. So the, the bottom line is this, is that you never want the punishment to be worse than the crime. So we would never suggest that you use an anterior midpoint stop appliance in an asymptomatic patient, especially if the overbite is, a, is less than a millimeter. Because that's the patient that could open up on you and, and you go, oh my God, what happened? And, 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 and now the patient can't bite off lettuce or something, and, and which is no big deal to my pain patients. They could care less. But if they didn't have pain in the beginning, then the punishment's worse than the crime, and they're not happy, and they shouldn't be happy. And that's a fantastic way to say it. If, you know, I, I, I still remember that saying, and I say it to my patients, you know, what, what you said. And you know what? The other thing I say to my patients, what you taught me, okay? And you, you said these three words already to me. I don't know. Okay. Yes, yes, it is. Exactly. You said, I don't know. Because I said, oh, it's like 30% the canine thing. And you were like, oh, I don't know. And, um, you know, I think we had a moment at that lecture where you just, for the first time, said, look, it's okay not to know. You know, just say, I don't know. Just learn to say it. And I- well, we actually, we actually, in the, we actually have everyone say it together. Because, because <laughs> here's the reality. I got sick and tired of going to all these gurus that knew everything. And when they didn't yep. know it, Jazz, they made stuff up. They just made it up to connect the dots. So because <laughs> God forbid, you know, I, you know, you paid the money. They should know the answers, and the answer is it often is I don't know. So I got over, you know, a lot of people got really upset with me because saying, I, you know, I paid you a lot of money to hear what you don't know. So so I I, I changed it to. It's not known. <laughs> I like that. It's not known. But you know what? Still, though, that was a, a, a great thing. Uh, so thank you for, for changing that about my life as well. So, right. So we said uh, what uh, anterior point stop, uh, stop appliances are. We've talked about um, a scenario with the patient. We talked about uh, how through mechanisms, they, they cannot cause um, an over-eruption, but they can uh, cause AOBs um, due to condylar uh, repositioning. Is that the best term? Uh, no, I would say they... they it's possible for the use of an anterior midpoint stop to contribute to an anterior uh, open bite with altered uh, uh, trajectory as a result of you know, usually an improvement in in the cervical kyphosis or, or uh, cervical lordosis. So that's a little, it, it's really not conjular position as much as it is the altered trajectory. Can you make that a bit more tangible? Because uh, some of those terms, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm still unfamiliar with. Um, ca- can you make it uh, idiot-proof for someone like me? Sure. Take your lower jaw and rest it. Okay. Right? Close together. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you just take your lower jaw and rest it now, and move your jaw slightly forward. All right, just forward. Just or or from that position, don't move it forward. Just change the way you, uh, you, you close to alter the trajectory so now you're only hitting your anterior teeth. Mm-hmm. All right? You're starting in the same position. Your condyle's in the same position, but your trajectory changed. Now just imagine you can't do this. Just imagine you change your trajectory so that your 
your your whole mandible uh, closes with a with a back teeth touching uh, are going to hit first. Now, because with that change in trajectory, you've got an anterior open bite. Your teeth are exactly the same. Yep, they haven't changed, but the trajectory changed. The musculature and combined with the, the posture in your and and your and your head and neck. Now, if you change, you know, it's it, it's it, think about this. You see, how many times have I seen dentists spend an hour, two hours, perfecting an, an occlusion, just making everything perfect, and the patient's lying down in the supine position in the chair, and they're going tap, 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 and they're making, and they're, now they've got the perfect, all the dots are lined up, and it's just great, mm -hmm. you know, and they think, oh, wow, I've completed this, and what I want to say to them now, sit the patient up, have them closed. What's going to happen? Well, it's, going to, it's going to change it's posture related as well of course so the trajectory changed it's mm -hmm. the, you didn't change your teeth you didn't change the position in your in the condyle of your, in the fossa your trajectory just changed mm -hmm. so if you if if where where you are your posture changes in terms of your head and your entire head and neck this was brought uh, brought to us when we had mariana Roccobato from chile uh, spent a week in my office and uh, went over this and he explained it in detail and, and, and showed us. And we actually took cervical films of, of my patients with uh, before and after treatment and, and because I had taken them all before. And now these patients with open bites came and he took new ones. And all of a sudden, on each and every one of them, we saw an improvement in their in uh, from their kyphotic curve to a, to a more normal lordotic curve. And all of them had the anterior open bite. That's amazing, and that's another great thing you've taught me because I actually um, learned about the Roccobado pain map uh, maybe in February, actually. So it's oh. amazing how that's kind of coming back. Is that, is that something you use in your practice? Uh, the, uh, we use Mariana's uh, uh, exercise program for uh, attempting to strengthen ligaments. It, it's br it's mm -hmm. brilliant. Uh, and some of Mariana's concepts in terms of joints, um, he spent a little more time lately with some of our neuromuscular friends and uh i think he's um <laughs> he's he's well I'll, I'll leave it there okay thank you <laughs> so okay so we've come to the conclusion that um through the mechanisms you described change in trajectories that um aobs can happen but the mechanism is not over eruption yeah. and also keep in mind also keep in mind that anterior open bites have been recorded and happened with uh, full arch splints. I mean, uh, they, they, they did. Oh, yeah. My, my principal, the, the worst one my principal ever had it on was a significant one from a Michigan splint. Yeah. So it can happen from any splint, really. Sure. The, the types of patients I avoid uh, delivering AMSAs to uh, are people who um, yeah, have a minimal overbite yeah. already, are asymptomatic, yeah. uh, just like you said. And, and also the other one I like to put in there and tell, you know, tell me what you think about this is people who... Who, when you when you when you tell them bite together, they say which bite? Like they have like they don't have a well-defined MIP. They're they're quite warm. They sort of um, don't have a, a, sort of a, a good interlocking. Is is that something that it could be could be a thing? Because that's that's something that I you know try and avoid. Because I, I I somehow think that in that patient you might get more of the sort of slipping, if you like, or change in trajectory as you described it. I would have before this conversation, I would have said condylar repositioning, but obviously I, I see what you mean now. Um, but is, is that one to be avoided? Is that a... I don't know. <laughs> okay. I did, so that I don't I don't know. I, it, it, that raises a really good that that's a whole another discussion that we can have. And, you know, in our course, we spend a little bit of a significant amount of time talking about occlusal dysesthesia. And 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 mm -hmm. the concern for which means a, a patient who has become hypersensitive or aware of their bite, uh, and, and how we mm -hmm. create that, and you know, so how do you deal? Uh, how do you deal with the patient that comes in and says, "Doctor Jazz, I have two bites. Can you help me?" Or "Doctor Jazz, my bite's not comfortable. Can you help me?" I'll only I know that we really don't have time to go into that jazz in, in detail, but I only say the last yeah. thing you you want to do with either of these patients is even look at their bite, even evaluate their bite, and God forbid change their bite. So and yet you can't help mm. them. So we go over we we teach that because that's really an important, uh, extremely important. Uh, there's not a dentist that I know that hasn't dealt with somebody hasn't walked in and says, you, "Can you help me, doc? My bite's just not comfortable." And, 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 and how you deal with that 
I don't mean to be, you know me, I, I, I'm not, this is not, I don't believe in mama drama. I hate it. Uh, but I will tell you how you deal with that has the potential to save someone's life. That's how important this can be. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And uh, I just asked Brilliant. two more questions now because I think we've answered the main question about anterior midpoint stop appliances and overruption, which keeps on coming on and on and on. But I want to say um, sure. is an anterior midpoint stop appliance, are you um, concerned about its long-term use? So, so that's a real, that's really interesting because and we, by we, long term, like years, I'm yeah, saying yes, like surely. years. And yeah. we hear this all the time. Uh, you know, uh, uh, some really good instructors in, 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 uh, in prosthetics and it's very common for them to say, well, you can only use it in a muscle issue, not in a joint primary joint issue. And of course, jazz, why do they say that? Why do, why would they say you can't use it in a joint primary joint problem? Because they they think that it will impinge on the retrodiscal tissues uh, eventually. They, if they they think that the condyles will be driven backwards, right? So so please do me a favor, and don't let the guys at S4S, Matt, Neil, know how much you know, because otherwise they would never pay <laughs> to bring me all the way over. They would just hire you. The, absolutely absolutely so yeah. they're 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 literally concerned about uh, uh, uh so they, they can't uh you can't use it in a, in a primary joint for that for that reason and and it's a temporary appliance so why do they say a temporary appliance because otherwise long term you're going to develop the super eruption and uh in in their way of thinking and also and, i'll add to this that it's a temporary appliance because then you won't get to do the full mouth rehabilitation to get <laughs> I mean, I know, I know that's really naughty, but I feel as though yeah. you know that that is the other side of it. The ugly side of it is that you know these splints could be done in patients in pain instead of oh, I think this full mouth rehabilitation will get you out of pain. Well, actually, the splint or has his role as well. You know. So, so, so. Let, let let me address that because I think you just hit something extremely important, and that is we are teaching what I call the restorative pain disconnect. Now, this does not mean, and people, again, so readily misinterpret this and think that I'm saying that there's no relationship between occlusion and occluding and pain and dysfunction. Of course, there's a relationship. The, all, uh, my goal is the, the keystone of my treatment is not, not, not let those teeth touch at all. So, so yeah, if, if, if I'm trying to keep the teeth apart, then clearly them being together creates a problem. Though our problem in dentistry is that we assume they are always together. We think of teeth, we're trained to think of teeth as together. Um, mm -hmm. So we wanna look at when they are together and then keep them from getting together and then reducing the forces and allowing God or Darwin to heal. Uh, uh, so, so, but but what what often happens is that there's, a, there's this, this connection. I'm going to put in an appliance that's going to tell me where this jaw has to be and now I can do 36 crowns in order to put the jaw where it's supposed to be. Now, you, people often say, Barry, that's ridiculous. There are only 32 teeth. And I said, I know, but if they can do 36 crowns, they will. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so there's a, there's a, there, so it. our concept is that we don't do restorative therapy to help our patients. We help our patients yep. so that we can do the restorative therapy they want or need that's perfect uh, and, and, and and i think that's uh, that's worth repeating now we'll sort of copy and paste that snippet and say it again because that is the real crux of it and that's uh, that, that's awesome yeah. and i just want one more question now sure okay. um there are a couple of occlusal camps whereby some people say that actually all these studies show that during mastication <clears throat> while we consume our foods uh, our teeth do touch together and there's another camp that, that say that actually when we're producing the bolus and stuff our teeth do not touch together and I, I, I still don't know the answer <laughs> do you know the answer? yes so they do touch together? no oh. you asked me if I knew the answer <laughs> okay so can you please shed, shed the light on that because uh, you know what is the answer because I, 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 hate, I hate these two viewpoints two viewpoints I'm pretty sure that I can give you two papers where they argue different things right exactly so here's my question. No matter what the answer is, explain to me how it matters. Um, okay, that, that's a really good question. Let me, let me think about this. Um, it, it matters so that next time this debate comes up that I'll have the right, the right answer. <laughs> 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 Otherwise, I don't know. <laughs> so, 
So let's just, let, let's let's go back here. So let's assume that they do touch. Okay. The question the question is, what does that mean? Then and how do they and how do they touch, and how does it matter? So one thing I will tell you. Let me ask you this: mm. If they touch, will they touch in? MIP. See that I I I I'm pretty sure myself. I, I mean, um, from from what I read, is no. We we don't fully get into MIP. Am, am, am I right there? Possibly getting into MIP. Yeah. You if you had if you if you had if you had a P. Yeah. In your in your on, on your right side, you're no longer in MIP. Correct. So if there's any if there's something between the teeth, you can't reach MIP. Now you take a normal bolus mm -hmm. and you put a normal bolus in between your teeth. Mm -hmm. No, and, and and not only that, you're, when you look at the masticatory cycle, you look at, it, at an elliptical pattern of 19 to 21 millimeters that has that doesn't even approach, you know, this concept of uh, 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 fencing, mm -hmm. a functional uh, fence. When you think about it, the role the teeth play in our mm -hmm. masticatory cycle is next to zero. Whether you've got flat cusps, whether you've got deep cusps, you're going to chew like a cow or like a rat. Who are you kidding? There's a there's a muscle, there's a functional generator that controls our pattern. It has nothing to do with our teeth. And then as soon as you add bolus, the 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 the, the angles yeah. of those cusps are are next to meaningless. So 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 the answer is yes, they can uh, they they can touch. In some inclined plane, mm -hmm. in somewhere along the line, they don't touch with any force or with any duration, so they can't do the create the damage that is done during parafunction. And so, so while it depends upon the patient's adaptive capacity, if their capacity is so low that any contact, any increase in EMG levels can set them off in terms of any of the components of the of the structures. Sure, on those patients, we tell them, you know, you got to eat softer foods. But the vast majority of our temperament, our patients with temperamental joint issues, we tell them, you can eat whatever you want as long as long as it doesn't hurt you. If it hurts you, that's a signal to tell you you shouldn't be eating it. But what you can't do is sleep without my appliance, because that you can't control, mm -hmm. and those forces are far worse than the forces you'll be experiencing during function. Excellent. And what percentage of people um, display para or exhibit parafunction at, at night time? Do you know this one? Yes. So if if we look at the literature, we'll get anywhere between eight and eighty. So you okay. can you, you can, so, <laughs> so 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 the literature is very very dispersed on this. Here's my question to you: You've got the hardest structure in the body yes. on the upper arch, and then on the lower arch. You see wear patterns on these teeth. You tell me what happened. How can we lose the tip of a canine? How is that possible when we know God or Darwin put one there? So if one is missing or we see wear patterns on teeth, there's a firm suspicion that that patient either is bruxing or has bruxed. Remember, there is no time stamp here. So it doesn't repair itself. So the patient may have fucked and may may have stopped, but we know somewhere along the line mm -hmm. there was there's a history of parafunction. You mm -hmm. can't, it, it, you don't have the the intensity or the duration to alter tooth surfaces. Now, in in the United States, there's this whole thing called uh, occlusal disease. This discussion of you know the United the, and, and blaming all of us dentists we're all horrible people because we we are not diagnosing occlusal disease and 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 we've got to restore and repair all this occlusal disease and you know in our course we spend a lot of time looking at all the factors of the cranium mandibular system and putting the teeth in perspective and understanding that you know you can get wear patterns on teeth and and if you don't have any other signs or symptoms and you're not concerned about the wear patterns and the patient's not concerned about the wear patterns. So be it. You know, we don't. You know, we, that that that's that's not. You haven't done a horrible thing by discussing mm -hmm. it with the patient. And if the patient doesn't want anything to do with it, you know, and he is in, is in concern, we shouldn't. Uh, I don't know of many people that have died of of tooth wear, and and uh, or or even aesthetically. 
uh, uh, major issues. Uh, and if you want, and if you want to restore them, the patient wants to restore them, then we can do that. But darn, we darn well better do all we can to protect what we have restored from the forces that created the problem in the first place. Brilliant. Dr. Glassman, thank you so much. I think I've got um, lots of awesome content here and I think that will really answer the question about uh, anterior midpoint stop appliances and uh, over eruption. Is there anything, any final comments? Obviously, I'm going to include information about your course, which I think everyone should go to because I think it will really rewire your brain uh, and it was so powerful for me and my career tra trajectory. Is there anything that, uh, anything that you'd like to add? The, uh, the only thing is that, is that I, I want to make, make it clear that because... Uh, we're looking at things that are different doesn't mean that, that there's the fear that what we've been doing up to this point has been wrong. It may be that it has been right, but it may be right for d reasons different than we once believed and that we should be afraid to ask the questions so that we can get better at solving more, pe more problems more conservatively for more people. What I've learned is that what general dentists are capable of, of, of doing is massive. That for a long time, what I realized is that, is that when I started using these anterior midpoint stop appliances, what I found was that patients would come to me and, and with a, a series of, of symptoms and problems, and we would start them on their appliance therapy, and three weeks, four weeks later, they'd come back and we'd say, okay, now we're gonna start with all the other supportive therapy that we had in mind, and they look at me and they say, why? Mm. I'm, we're, we're, I'm better. And what I realize is that general dentists can do that, and then they can refer to people like myself and, and other oral, uh, special, uh, uh, oral facial pain, uh, people, people who have limited their practice to oral facial pain. Uh, and, and then for supportive therapy, they can go there for that, sort of, that supportive therapy. But it's amazing how much they can accomplish in their own offices uh, once they get over the fear of failure. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. As you can see, I really enjoyed having Dr. Glassman on the show today. It was really useful, great knowledge. Uh, and so we have the answer. Anterior midpoint stop appliances will not cause anterior open bites because of posterior over-eruption per se. However, in a small percentage of cases with any appliance and including anterior midpoint stop appliances, you can get anterior open bites. And the mechanism is not posterior over-eruption. It's a change in the trajectory of how your teeth come together. And there are certain sort of risk factors that might predispose you to, to having an anterior open bite. And that's covered really well, obviously, in our conversations with Dr. Glassman. And the, the, the thing to remember, I suppose, is as Dr. Glassman says, the punishment should not be worse than the crime. So try not to use it in asymptomatic cases or those with minimal overbites. I tend to use them for my pain patients or those I want to deprogram diagnostically. Well, thank you so much for listening. I just wanted to mention before you go about the Dentinal Tubers Congress in October. If you haven't already booked, what are you waiting for? It's something that you know I look forward to every year and I, I hope to see you there. It's got some great workshops, including occlusion, complete dentures, uh, preparation where they sort of scan the teeth at the same time. You get like instant feedback. So all these workshops still are available at time of recording. So uh, check out Dentinal Tubers Congress in October and I look forward to seeing you there. I'll put the link in the bio. Thank you.